Well, good morning, Core Faith Church. It's good to be with you. What a privilege. Kids, you are dismissed. Aren't you glad? You don't have to hear a message on marriage today. Isn't that great? Oh, it's good. All right, good. Well, it's good to, have, good to be with you. Good to be back with you. And uh, everybody have an outline there? Thank you, Brother John. All right, all right. Great worship. You know, you always worship when you come here. You, many of you know uh, I am a Presbyterian. You have to forgive me for that. Uh, but I've been preaching in a Presbyterian church for the last several weeks, and they don't do worship like you do worship here. Uh, this, this is better. I love it. This is awesome. Great times of worship with you guys. Thank you so much. Well, we are, we are in a series, Family Unit, and uh, uh, we're going to be talking about marriage today, as uh, uh, the bishop has said. And I want you to know I love the bishop. I tell you, uh, I, I lo- he's on our leadership team at Forge, and I've said this before, but I love him. I love, uh, I love the men of this church as well. I mean, we have great leaders. Thank you for your leadership and the opportunity to be here with you today. Uh, marriage is one of those subjects, though, that is a difficult one, right? I didn't pick the topic. The bishop did. And so marriage is one of those topics that creates a great deal of, of, of angst, of, of challenge in our lives. Some of you are quite happy, but we're going to be talking about it, but others of you are not. Uh, and as we have people in this room, we think of uh, across the board, some of you are happily married, some of you are unhappily married, some of you are married to an unbeliever, and that makes it difficult. Some of you are divorced, some of you are remarried, some of you are contemplating remarriage, some of you are thinking, one day I'd want to be married. And so there's, we're all across the spectrum here. But marriage is one of those challenging things. I, my story about marriage is that I was raised in a family where marriage was a challenge. And my parents divorced when I was 10 years of age. And I saw what, 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 how difficult marriage can be. Uh, I witnessed it firsthand. And many of you had that experience as well. So as we talk about marriage, and as we talk about unity in marriage, some of you are saying, I ought to get up and walk out. And if you do, that's okay. I won't be offended. Um, but, but also realize that as we look into God's Word, as we talk about marriage, what this is going to enable us to do is some process some things ourselves about marriage, as well as gain, hopefully, some reminders. Not everything I teach you or I say today is going to be brand new to you right? We need reminders. I need reminders. Uh, but also, some of, some of the things that we'll talk about today might be helpful for, for a friend of yours or a brother or sister in Christ. And so God teaches us by repetition, doesn't he? Repetition is the mother of all learning. Repetition is the mother of all learning. Repetition... <laughs> Right? And so we need, we need to learn. So what I want to do is you see on the outline before you in your, in your bulletin or on the screen in back of me is I want to talk about marriage today in the USA. There's almost a rhyme there. I'm not, almost. Marriage today in the USA. Let's say that together. Ready? Marriage today in the USA. All right. Because, because the reality is, is there's been so many changes about marriage, hasn't there? In the last 50 years, and I'm a little bit older than that. In the last 50 years, marriage has changed enormously. 
One of the major trends, we call it a mega trend, is that now we see almost across the board both husband and wife working outside the home. Right? That's a mega trend. That's very, very, very common now today. But there's a whole lot of what they're called micro trends. Small trends that are taking place in America today that are affecting marriage. So I want to talk about marriage today in the USA. Why? And I'll tell you at the end of that. It's only going to take a few minutes. But it's important for us to set the stage to know what's happening about marriage in our country today. So one of the micro trends that's taking place is something called second fiddle husbands. Anybody heard of that before, second fiddle husbands? Don't raise your hand on this one. How many of you husbands feel like second fiddle husbands? Don't, don't raise your hand on that. But there's a trend that's going on in America today where, where many men are not having uh, able to make the, the same kind of level of income as their wives, and so their, or their wives-to-be are looking for, they're looking for guys that can be second fiddle. In other words, stay home. Take care of the kids. You, in other words, there, this is a micro-trend. It's happening today. I've seen it. I have friends whose wives make more than they make, and so they want to stay home and take care of the kids. Or that's, and so many women are looking today for second-fiddle husbands. That's a micro-trend. Another micro-trend is the never, never married. Never married. Many are choosing never to marry. 13% of all adults over 35 years of age have never married, and a lot of them are planning never to marry. It's just, they got a dog or a cat, seriously, and that's all they want, right? Uh, uh, third one, this is a very negative micro trend that's taking place today, and it's called open marriage, where a husband and wife are married, but there's not the faithfulness relationally and sexually in marriage that there should be. Biblically, uh, as you can see, that's not a biblical trend for us. That's an ungodly trend in America today. But more and more we see this in America. The fourth micro trend is grain bachelors. This is also not, it's kind of just is, but there's a negative dimension to it. Women live longer than most men, right? So I think that the age for most um, women is 81, most men at 76, and therefore, as men gray, if they survive, there are more women and fewer men. And a lot of these men are moving from woman to woman to woman, and a lot of women are moving from men to men to men. It's called the grain bachelor microtrend. It's, it's not a good trend for Christians. As you can see, third time winners is another micro trend. In other words, it used to be as people would get married, divorced, remarried again. They go, I'm not trying. I'm a two time. I'm not doing it again. But we're seeing more and more couples marrying for the third time, uh, fourth time. I had a man in my church I went to lunch with one day and I said, so tell me your story again about marriage. And he went over it and over it and over it. And I said, wait, now you got to start from the beginning. I count five marriages. And, 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 and he went over it again, and I think I ended up, I'm not good in math, but I think I came up with five marriages there. So we're seeing that. Uh, we're seeing uh, another micro trend in America today, the, uh, having it both ways. Again, this is not a good trend, and it's important for us to talk about as the church to see in America that bisexuality is increasing in America, and it's affecting our marriages. It is. It just is. Uh, internet marriage. This is, this is not as bad as some people say it is. A lot of people are meeting online. Don't raise your hand if you met online. 
But a lot of times, meeting online can be helpful because you, you filter out those things that you don't have in common. You say, I just don't even want to ever meet that person. But it can be helpful. Uh, it's not but it's increasing. And more and more people are going to be meeting online. And so you ask them, hey, where'd you meet? And they go, you know, as a pastor, whenever I used to ask that question with couples joining our church, that was always interesting. Where'd you meet? Okay, we were in a bar. They didn't want to say it. And now they almost have that same response. I'm meeting, we met online. But it's a major trend. Independent marriage. Here's another micro trend. The last one I want to bring up to you is that a lot of couples are marrying today but living apart. One might live in Orlando and one might live in Jacksonville and have houses in both places. They're living together, but they're living apart and they, and they might meet on the weekends. Microtrends, these things are happening. Is marriage changing in America today? Absolutely it is. And, and why I brought this up, why I wanted to talk briefly about marriage today in the USA is because these trends affect our families, our friends. Do they affect us, brothers and sisters? Yes, they do. They do. We are influenced by our culture because in every way our culture brings these things to us. In, in commercials, you look at your commercials. Commercials are changing about all relationships. Uh, look, look at TV movies, TV shows, uh, theater movies. Our culture has a way of influencing us and our family members are changing in these ways too. And then the real test is when a family member comes to you with one of these alternative micro trends and says, this is what I'm doing. How do we respond? It's not easy because we love them. And we want to encourage them in these trends, even though they're not biblical and not not good. And so if we don't think about these trends, we won't know how our culture is changing and how we're being influenced, okay? So it's important to know how, what marriage, the state of marriage in the USA today is. How did these changes come about? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the undoing of marriage started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? If the rapture takes place right now and we all end up in heaven together, uh, let's go find Adam and Eve. Let's surround them up. Let's say, Adam and Eve, come here. The people from Core Faith want to talk to you. What were you guys thinking in the Garden of Eden? What were you not thinking? But in Genesis 3, in verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. As we talk about this fall into sin, we use that terminology, don't we? The fall into sin. Uh, and and that's, it's, it's not a bad terminology. It's actually a good terminology. But Adam and Eve took that step into sin, didn't they? They took it with eyes wide open, didn't they? They knew what they were doing. It wasn't like, oh, I tripped and I fell. They took a deliberate step of rebellion away from the God of the universe, and then they fell. They fell into sin, and since then, we are born sinners, Adam and Eve, 
took a beating in the garden from the evil one and they gave into it. First of all, she comes to him with something that they shouldn't have done. And what does Adam do when she says to him, Adam, eat of this fruit. What does Adam say? Absolutely nothing. He takes it. He eats it. What should he have said? Eve, it's going to be very cold in a hot place before we eat that. That's what he should have said. He should have said, no, no. He should have been the spiritual leader. But he was not. Larry Crabb wrote a book years ago entitled, The Silence of Adam. And so that in Romans chapter 5, we see that everything was changed and that we are born sinners because Adam represented us in the Garden of Eden. You may not like that. And you know what I say? I don't either. I don't like that Adam represented me in the Garden of Eden, but the bottom line is he was perfect. What better representative could there have been? He represented us, but he made a mistake. By the way, what is Jesus called in the New Testament? He is called the second Adam, who represents us on the cross. That's the good news. That's the good news. And so the undoing of marriage started uh, back in, in Genesis chapter 3, and human nature is now uh, so fallen. Our relationships are broken, aren't they? As, as we are born, our relationship with God is broken, and our relationship with one another is broken. And, and so that's, in essence, that's what sin does. It breaks key relationships, breaks everything. And, um, and so the blame game took place in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? You never have the, game, the blame game in, in your marriage, do you? Well, we'll yeah, I know. I thank you for that honesty. Uh, you know, God says to Adam, what have you done? And she says, he said, well, the woman, she gave it to me. Uh, and then, then God looks at the woman and what does the woman say? Well, the serpent, the blame game takes place and it still takes place today. Well, if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. If you hadn't have done that, I would Well, there it is. Uh, marriage was broken in the fall in the Garden of Eden, uh, led to the fall of marriage. And so the realities that we face in all marriages, 100%, you ready for this? Marriage is tough. Isn't it? Oh, it's tough. And uh, I see smiles, maybe a couple of frowns. But bottom line, in the, even in the church of Jesus Christ, there's no perfect marriage. The only perfect marriage in the church of Jesus Christ is the marriage between Jesus Christ and his people. That's the perfect marriage. But in the body of Christ, uh, we're all, and so when I kid, you saw the introduction there, and I said, Karen and I have been married 39 years. They've been the best 39 years of her life. You know it's a joke. Because I told you already that I was born, I, I, my, I was raised in a family that divorced when I was 10. My dad did not model marriage well for me. And I, I, I learned early on in our marriage that I had to learn a lot, and there's a lot I didn't know. And I make, I've made a lot of mistakes. And if, if Karen wasn't a Christian, I, I, I know we've been in real trouble. Um, I, I married up. Guys, we tend to. We married up, we married well, Lord willing. Uh, but there's another reality, not only is marriage tough, is that I, I want you to know that when we mess up, there's forgiveness. 
And the gospel is so important here because whether it's divorce, whether it's failure, losing our temper, hurting each other, maybe we made a mistake that we shouldn't. I mean, I have run more times than I can tell you to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we need it. All right, so marriage today in the USA. Now let's talk about, spend the rest of our time, and I have till what, two, three, four o'clock today. Yeah, right. This is a big subject, isn't it? All right, okay. Well, let's talk about marriage today in the Word of God. Because there are some things that should never change. And one of them is how marriage is defined uh, and, and how we should view marriage. So what is marriage according to God? Now the text uh, is Genesis 2, verses 18 through 24. And this is a powerful, powerful text. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. All right. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Is God a genius or what? You want to drive a point home to a man, you got to hit him over the head with a two by four. So bring 1,500, 15,000, I don't know how many, sets of animals past Adam and he sees two by two, male and female, hmm, male and female. By about the 10,000th one, he goes, huh, I get it. There is no suitable helper for me. Now you're getting smart. So, verse 21. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man when the man came out of his his stupor. And he said in the original Hebrew, woe. You got to be kidding. No, it doesn't say that, in the, uh, but um, you can imagine. This is now, the man says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And then there's a summation statement here that is so important for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become, let's say it together, they will become one flesh. They will become one flesh. You know, many theologians have said, and down through the history of the church, it's interesting that they've said this almost consistently, that, man, that woman was taken from the side of man and not from his head, lest she should be over him. Nor was she taken from his feet, that he should step on and be over her, but from his side, that they would be together and they would be one flesh. This is God's ideal. And down through the history of the church, this is not just, this is not just recent theologians, Older theologians and pastors in the church have said this same thing. And so we see what what marriage is. We're beginning to get the idea from a biblical perspective that marriage is a covenant covenant relationship between a, a, a man and a woman. 
And covenant, a covenant in the Bible, is an agreement between two or more people. In the Old Testament, uh, God made the covenant, didn't he? God made the covenant. It was, a, it, was a, it was a sovereign covenant. He said, Israel, you are going to be my people. He didn't give them a choice. He just called them. You're my people. And, and God kept the terms of the covenant himself. I will rescue you out of Egypt. I will make you my people. The Passover lamb then becomes the symbol, really, doesn't it, uh, of, of God's redemptive work on part of Israel. Well, in, in, in marriage, we see that marriage is a, is a covenant relationship too. It's, it's an agreement between two people. Covenants are long-lasting. Covenants are for life. Covenants are relational. And they affect everybody in that covenantal relationship. This relationship is so important uh, uh, that, that the New Testament uses marriage as a symbol of Christ's relationship with the church. Isn't that fascinating? He says in Ephesians, and we have, I think, that text for you as well. In Ephesians 5, verse 31, it quotes Genesis, and it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. It is, isn't it? Marriage is a mystery at times, isn't it? But it's a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery. But, but Paul goes on and he says, but, but, I'm really saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So even back when God instituted marriage in the Old Testament, he had this idea of what he was going to do in the future in relationship to Christ and his church, that we would be bound to him. When you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you enter into what, kind of, what covenant? What's it called? The new covenant. Isn't that amazing? Um, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let his wife see that she respects her husband, love and respect in marriage. Women, can we talk? Is your husband always worthy of respect? She goes, oh, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have said that. I'll answer for you. No, men, are, we're not always worthy of respect, right, in, in terms of what we do. Um, women, do you want to be loved? Yeah. yeah. Uh, men, do you want to be loved? Do you want to be respected? Yeah. You know, we both want to be loved and we both want to be respected, don't we? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, when push comes to shove, what happens in marriage? When we have struggles, when we have difficulties, I, 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 they would come into my office, the couples would come into my office and they'd be fighting. And, and, and he would say, you know, you know, I love her, but if she would just respect me, it would be easier for us to work this out. And what would the wife say? If he would just love me, then we could maybe work this out. You know, it's, it's interesting. We both want to be loved and respected, but there really is this push uh, sh and shove kind of thing that goes on that we men, deep down, we want to be loved, but respect, we need to be respected or it makes it harder for us to work out things. Our egos are sometimes fragile. <laughs> but we both need to love and respect each other. 
And that's, it's interesting that he puts that there. So marriage is a living example of Christ and his church. Let me tell you real quick what marriage is. I said marriage is a what? Let's say it together. Marriage is a covenant. All right? So marriage is a covenant that God witnesses. Who is the most important witness at a wedding? It is God himself. It is not the friends, the family, the minister, whoever. It is God himself because God God is the one who seals the covenant. All right? All right, so what marriage isn't? Well, let me tell you what marriage is. Marriage is not a celebration. A wedding has a celebration aspect to it, doesn't it? And you guys probably know how to do wedding celebrations better than anybody else, right? So, but a marriage is not a celebration. Sometimes it's the opposite. Where a wedding ceremony has a celebration. A marriage is not a mere convenience. Right? Is it? Is it always convenient to be married? Are you kidding me? And I'm speaking for my wife. Said, you know, there's times I have inconvenienced her amazingly. So it's not a mere convenience. It's downright inconvenient at times. Marriage is not a contract where we think of the financial elements that, that are going to happen. You know, you do this, I, you get this amount of money. I do this, I get this amount of money. It's not merely a contract. It's a covenant. And it's so important to understand that marriage is God's institution. So you won't remember the comedian Groucho Marx, but uh, Groucho Marx once said, marriage is a great institution. But who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> Uh, okay, I get that. But it's God's institution. It's a covenant that we make with each other. Now, the last thing I want to spend time with, the time we have left, is how can marriage succeed? After all, and we said it in worship today, such good worship, always good worship here. But uh, you talked about the victory that we have in Christ. Can we have Victory in our marriages. Can marriages succeed even though many times they don't? And again, I've got to give grace uh, to us all in marriage because marriage is difficult. And if you have not gone through a divorce, you maybe have thought about a divorce. Uh, Billy and Ruth Graham uh, were married for many, many years. And one time an interviewer asked Ruth Graham, she said, have you ever thought about divorce? She said, divorce never murder." Because marriage is one of those things that wells up our deepest and most frustrating emotions, isn't it? And so, again, we have to look at the cross at this point and realize that the unpardonable sin is not a divorce. Uh, the unpardonable sin is disbelief in the one Savior in the world. And we need to lean. Now, don't go out and, don't go out and say, good, he said I could get a divorce. Don't just go do that. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying we need to learn how we can make marriage succeed by God's grace and move on if we've experienced failure, all right? So some of you, it's for your marriage to come. Some, some of you, it's marriage now. How can marriage succeed? Let me give you a couple of things and we'll wrap it up together and I'll get you out of here by, like I said, what did I say, four, 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 Two things, two things about how we can make marriage succeed. Number one, focus together on, your, on, on the new priority of your marriage. 
And some of you say, I know I, I, I've done that, uh, but, but it's an important reminder because in Genesis 2.24, it says there is a leaving and then there is a uniting. And the, and the theme of this, uh, this two-part series is that there, there must be family unit. And so Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father, be united to his wife, they'll become one flesh. And it's important for us to understand that the one flesh is first and foremost a spiritual reality, isn't it? When the pastor says, I now pronounce that you are husband and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. There is a spiritual oneness that takes place. And within our churches and within our culture, it's important for us to remember and to pass on to our kids and to our friends our brothers and sisters in Christ, that the one flesh relationship physically is to be the celebration of the one flesh relationship spiritually. And how we need so many, so many couples uh, and in recent years, uh, for me and as a pastor doing weddings, they've already been together physically. And, and what happens is when they're together physically, they haven't even done necessarily any premarital counseling. And I don't even know if they fit. But the one flesh, the physical relationship so ties them together that they often can't separate. And what happens is I've had many in that situation where they've, where they've come for counseling for premium. We want to get married. And one of the early questions I try to find out, got to be an investigator to do that. Actually, you get to a certain point, you just say, have you been, to, are you living together? Have you been together? Because it affects. You see, the one flesh relationship physically is the celebration of the one flesh relationship spiritually. It's important for us to keep that in mind for our future generations in teaching our kids and passing that on. But there really must be a, a leaving of his father and mother and a uniting, right? So how does, how does that leaving take place? Well, in marriage, to focus on the new relationship, there has to really be a leaving, of the primary unit of mom and dad, or mom and dad, and, and that's hard culturally sometimes, isn't it? Because you're, there are cultural ties to our parents, but a marriage can't succeed unless there is a, a real focus on this new relationship. And so there has to be that leaving. That's interesting that God would put it that way, uh, but sometimes struggle, couples struggle together because mom and dad are still the focus instead of this new relationship. Uh, and, 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 and sometimes a couple, uh, well, a couple always has to focus on their relationship as a new priority. So there must be a leaving. At the wedding of my two sons, uh, I, I, I told each of them before they walked the aisle, I said, uh, I said, now you guys don't have to obey me anymore. And after about five minutes here, and I said, you know, the Bible says, honor your father. You have to honor me. But you don't have to obey me anymore after this ceremony. Isn't that cool? And they go, yeah. Uh, um, I said, you're on your own. You're off the family payroll, man. That's it. But there really is a good thing. I, we stand with our family. We stand with them. But they've got to leave us. And there are times that I can't, I can't get in the middle of my two sons, my son and his wife. My two sons and their wife. There's no good way to say that. My sons and their wives, they're married to one woman each. 
All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the reality is, I can't get in the middle of that. And I've got to do my very best to support them and love them as well. But marriage works when there's a real leaving and a real uniting. And this is important. They will become one flesh. You see, what happens in marriage ideally is not that one of you loses your identity and gets absorbed into somebody else. No. Two are better than one, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one. There's a synergy that ought to take place in marriage. If one loses their identity in marriage, and many women today, frankly, are, are afraid of that, doesn't have to happen. Guys, we, we, and many of us guys, have tried to dominate so much that it's hard for a wife to find their, keep their identity. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Did I ever say marriage was tough? But, but the reality is there must be a, an understanding that, that we're better together. That's what synergy is. Uh, we're better together. Not losing uh, of our own identity. This oneness is spiritual. It's divine. And, and guys, we get to be the spiritual leaders. We get to be the spiritual leaders to try to bring out the best in our wives. And I tell you, that's, that, that was a hard thing for me to learn. I, I'm still learning this. And by the way, that's a principle for marriage. How can your marriage succeed? Keep growing all your life. I'm 25 and I'm still growing in my, I'm kidding. I, yeah, obviously. I'm an old guy and I'm still learning. But if, you, you want to know the very best thing you can do for your, your marriage? Keep growing Spiritually. It's not techniques, it's keep growing spiritually. Allow Jesus Christ to keep changing and conforming you into his image, the fruit of the Spirit. Become a godly woman, a godly man. That's the very best thing you and I can do for our marriages. Keep growing uh, in, our, in our faith so that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, flows through us. Isn't that important? Uh, it's so, so important. And guys, as we grow spiritually, men, can we talk? As we grow spiritually, it will, it will have an impact in the home. It has to have an impact in the home. Um, have you ever heard of this idea that in marriage, opposites attract? Yeah. You know what? It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. In fact, years ago, Bob and Carol Mayhall wrote a book entitled Opposites Attract. And on the front of that book, they crossed out the attract and wrote attack. You know why? Because the very things that draw us together when we're dating are those things that can become the source of contention once we're married. Uh, and, and, and we could go on and talk about that, but it's so true. But do I need somebody different from me in marriage? You bet I do. You know, I'm a big picture person. My wife helps me so much with details and, and other things too. But I need an opposite of my life. Uh, she's very analytical. I need that. So we need the opposites in our life. And so there's a uniting where we, where we celebrate the differences. I love the song that we sang today. I think, did I write it down here? I am who you say I am. Great song. Why is that so important? Because we remember who our identity is in Christ. Here, here's something that's important in marriage. Don't try to find your identity in your spouse. 
Because if you try to find your identity in your spouse, when your spouse is different from you, and they, uh, they are, they will bring up things that are frustrating to you about yourself. And if your identity is in that spouse, you will think, I'm being attacked. But if you understand your identity is in Jesus Christ and he loves you 100%, and that he can never not love you now, that he loves you more than you love yourself, and that you are safe and secure in him for eternity, then your spouse can say some really honest and difficult things to you. And you can say, you know, you, you, you might be right. Or you can say, you're probably right. I have to go think about that. But you won't see it as an attack. Find your identity in Christ, and it's so powerful. So focus on your new family priority, your unity uh, in Christ, the leaving and the uniting. Uh, one more point, and that is love each other with gospel love. This is so important. Uh, you know, we, we know that Paul got to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, and he said, uh, and, and, and now abide faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love. I just want to read some of these verses to you uh, for reminder. A lot of you had these read in your marriage ceremony. You've read them before. Some of you got up this morning. You have these memorized. Well, maybe not. But, um, but we need these. We need to love with God's kind of love, which is agape love. An unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. That's what God's love is. An unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. So Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever see the gong show, you older folks? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, would, it's an old show. But people would get up and start singing, and, and if they didn't like it, they'd hit a gong. It was like so embarrassing. Uh, I was never on the gong show. Um, if I, have the no, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Let me ask you this. Is, is it important for us to have prophecy, the Word of God taught to us? Is it important for us to have knowledge of the Word of God? Absolutely. Is it important for us to be sacrificial in our service to other people? Yes, but without love? It's nothing. Uh, is it important to give money to the poor? Absolutely. But if without, without love, it's nothing. And I'm saying this to myself. I need to hear this. Um, if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. And now what he does is, is, he, he, is he goes through and he gives a description of love in a very uh, key way. And what, this kind, what these attributes of love do in us and through us is it helps us stay flexible in love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous it does not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Put your name in here. I wince as I think about love is patient and my driving sometimes. I was patient today on the way over here because there was no traffic. And the roads were wet. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Really? 
does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In marriage, we have to expect surprises because we live in an unpredictable world. This kind of love is so important because it enables us to stay flexible with that person in an unpredictable world. And why really we probably ought to memorize all of this. So that's your challenge for today. Fight for each other's heart as we wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails, but now abide faith, hope, and love these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so this, this really is a challenge for us, isn't it? And, and some of you said, I haven't heard anything new today. Good. But have you heard something that the Holy Spirit is saying to you? I, I want to apply this. I need to apply this. I can't preach this. I can't talk about this without thinking about myself. That I need to continue to grow. I want to grow in this. And, and the secret of, of marriage, power for marriage, is the Holy Spirit of God. Where we come back to Him. Where we fight for each other, not against each other. Do you think the church of Jesus Christ needs to have a holistic, biblical view of marriage? It does. We ought to be the true radicals in the world. In fact, I'm looking at you right now, you radicals. You don't think you're radicals, do you? I like that. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And you know what? You're all radicals. Every one of you. Because the world, in large numbers, believes the opposite of everything we said today. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a radical. And I challenge you to that. My daughter and I were talking this morning about coaching. She's a, a graduate from UCF. Sports and exercise science major, going to be a coach, is, is a coach. And uh, we were talking about uh, uh, how, do you, how do you coach? How do you look ahead? Uh, how do you set goals? It, 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 she read me a, a, a passage in a book, and then I was thinking about it. And I, I said, what do I really desire? What is the real cost? Now do I still want it? When my parents divorced and when we were thinking of getting married, Karen and I, when I was thinking about marriage, I said, the one thing I really desire is to have an intact family that doesn't divorce. I really wanted it. I had no idea the cost. But as I went and the cost became clear that I was going to have to die to myself more and grow, and Karen was clear that I was going to have to die to myself and grow. <laughs> I love you guys. This is a home away from home. I can be honest with you guys. I realized growth wasn't easy, but I really wanted it. And I still want it. I still want it. Don't you? Yeah. Only by God's grace can we, can we hold together something so precious as a family, as well as an emblem to the world.
that Jesus Christ has come and died on the cross for our sins and risen again in perfect proof that we have been forgiven. Marriage does that. Be a radical. Be a radical. And pray that I will too. Let's pray, and then we'll close out our service. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done to give us victory in our life, even in this most difficult, challenging relationship as marriage. We give you praise in advance for the power that you will give us, for the small changes that we will make today based on your word. Fill us with your grace to move ahead, we pray, in your strong and holy name.